Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. I love doing that. Uh, <laughs> good evening, and welcome tonight to tonight's program of the Commonwealth Club, where the, in the place where you're in the know. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org, on Facebook and Twitter, and on our YouTube channel as well. I'm Joseph Fink, the President Emeritus of Dominican University of California, the former uh, chairman of the board of the governors of the Commonwealth Club, and also the former chairman of the board of the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame, which this evening is enshrining five of our member, new members at a place across town. I chose to be here rather than there because of the intellectual athleticism and the grace and charm and wit of the man sitting near me is greater than all of those five athletes put together. <laughs> Willie Brown is the legendary speaker of the California Assembly, one of the best mayors the city ever had, and an advisor to presidents and governors for a number of decades. Currently, he heads the Willie L. Brown Jr. Institute of Politics and Public Service and writes a column for the San Francisco Chronicle. Ladies and gentlemen, Willie Brown. Thank you, Joseph. Since I accepted the invitation in 19... Well, no, 2004 or five, to come to the Commonwealth Club and talk about uh, the city and the county and the state and the nation and the world. I accepted that invitation at a time when I was in recovery from public service. <laughs> I assumed that it would be a one-year deal and that I would be, of course, completely rehabilitated and no longer in need of being present with a whole lot of people that are smarter than I am, that are better informed, that have opinions where they take no risk in sharing them. But I'm still here. I have not gone away. I, I must tell you that uh, coming to visit with you in this day and age, in this time period, since 2016, has been different from anything that I have ever experienced. It was July of 2008 when I finally agreed uh, to do a column for the San Francisco Chronicle. It was... It was about the time that Obama was about to defeat Hillary without the help of the Russians. 
So it was an interesting time. Can you imagine how confused they must have been? Do we do the black guy? Do we do the woman? (laughs) (laughs) Subsequently, it was no problem for them a few years later. They knew exactly who they should do. But the Chronicle asked and had gone back and forth with the idea of a column because I had been very friendly with and a pal, uh, I think I was named as uh, a correspondent in one of his two or three divorces. When her, <laughs> he ran around with me so much that his wives thought we had a relationship um, that would have potentially landed us on the cover of Time, um, as you will see when you see your next Time magazine. The new first family is on the cover of Time. Um, Judge and his husband are on the cover of Time magazine. That's amazing that, that, that we've come that far since 2008. And I must tell you that I just anticipated that in um, 2008, Obama would get elected in November of 2008, and uh, I would probably write one or two more columns, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and that would be it. Uh, but they won't let me go either. I'm <laughs> still doing a column for the Chronicle. And so tonight, you may get a little bit of Sunday's column. Uh, <laughs> or you may give me some idea about what ought to be in Sunday's column. In the meantime, I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about the city, but probably more about the nation. It's awfully hard to get away from uh, what the nation is doing. You know, we had uh, the, the situation uh, yesterday of Roseanne Barr in drag. <laughs> Showing up to answer questions. Uh, uh, you know. And in the process, um, we, it was, I mean, it was great, great entertainment. And nothing was more impressive, frankly, uh, than uh, how it all unfolded, almost as if it was scripted. Our great senators on the Democratic side of the aisle uh, seemed uh, uh, not exactly prepared uh, initially. They seemed to be hesitant. They thought uh, the new lights at the Commonwealth Club, which bothers the hell out of me, uh, <laughs> was bothering them uh, because there were obviously lots of lights uh, going on there. But it was kind of amazing in that uh, the senator from Hawaii got off her lines and we were waiting patiently. Dick Durbin, I thought, would, would uh, get off his lines. But this guy, this, this bar guy was really... Uh, tap dancing. He was really doing a great job of uh, representing his client, uh, his only client, um, and clearly looking to survive uh, that job that the client gave him, and that had been approved by the U.S. Senate. Well, as things unfolded and unfolded with at least three people running for the presidency, you knew that there had to be an opportunity for each of them to really display 
how competitive they could really be if they were actually in the seat of the presidency. Well, I must tell you that San Francisco, obviously in California, obviously was blessed because uh, Kamala Harris ended up being almost at the end, <laughs> at the end of the line because they do it by seniority for purposes of questioning. Has nothing to do with skill, ability, and what have you. And it's clear that all the questions on the Democratic side should have been turned over to her. She should have cross-examined him like the pedophile that he appears to be on some occasions. They really should have gone, they should have really gone after him, or in, in, but they couldn't. They just couldn't, they couldn't lay, I mean, it was amazing. It was almost like they couldn't lay a glove on him until they got to her. Now, he clearly had no exposure to how deadly she can really be uh, and when, when it comes to question and answer. She, she has been doing it for years, and she was a premier trial lawyer in the district attorney's office over in Alameda, and she had developed a whole reputation of if you were in courtroom with Kamala Harris, people did what they do here when they come to see me. They wanted to see her literally cross-examining people because she would literally cut them to shreds. And she would do so in a way in which it was respectful within the content and within the rules. And obviously, Roseanne never figured uh, that, he would, that, 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 that she would be able to do anything to him. He was almost too smug by the time it got to her. And when she started giving him those ups and downs and those ups and downs and always just say, answer yes or no, answer yes or no, answer yes or no. Well, there's anything you don't want to know about Kamala, you don't want to have to be in a position where you got to answer yes or no. That's out of the question. Um, because she don't care which way you answer, it's not going to be the right answer. And that's what, and that's what he didn't figure. And so she really literally so wiped the floor in that brief period of time she had with him that it caused him to know that he needs to go into recovery. He cannot go back before the Congress. And I hope the Congress is wise enough if they really want to do really, really an effective job of determining whether or not this report contains sufficient information for purposes of initiating the action that could lead to the ultimate demise of Trump, they're going to have to do the job of subpoenaing him, knowing that he's not going to honor the subpoena, going to court, getting a contempt of court and a contempt of Congress in one fashion or another, and sending the U.S. Marshal to pick him up and bring him in and he won't have his cell phone on. <laughs> you told him to turn those damn things off, didn't you? <laughs> so it should be an interesting next few days because suddenly what was kind of an overshadowed campaign, a campaign that started out spectacularly in the early part of the year, it literally had become complacent in our perspective only because
There are so many. I think there are now almost 23 or 24 people uh, running. And apparently, um, there must be some value in running that I can't perceive. (laughs) Because if you have no possibility of winning, you know, that governor of Washington has no possibility of winning. You can't run a campaign using Greyhound bus as your means of transportation <laughs> in order to get around the country. You just can't. It doesn't work that way. And, you, and there are a whole number of those people that have no possibility of winning. Each one of you in this room got a better possibility of winning <laughs> because not enough people know who you are. They might be impressed, but these people are knowing and it's, you know, so it's kind of weird, but I know that it won't be long before one after another, they will start bailing out. And when they do, we'll have a, probably a five or six person uh, playoff, so to speak. And the five or six person playoff, uh, I know you're wondering, who do I think will ultimately win? I must tell you that I'm not sure uh, anymore. Uh, because, you know, Biden is soaring uh, at the moment. Uh, I don't know whether or not he will be able to maintain that uh, because he has not been able to maintain it in uh, two or three other attempts to become the president. And it's hard for me to embrace anyone who has lost consistently. uh, And I suspect that that will be the same experience that many other people will have uh, in this country. I do, however, think that the ticket for this Democrat this time around, for the Democrats this time around, will have to have a woman. Clearly have to have a woman on the ticket. (laughs) Hillary should have been the president. There is no question Hillary should have been the president. But the purist decided they, they could not allow themselves for fear of being rejected somewhere. They couldn't allow themselves to go vote for somebody who was not as pure as they were. And so they didn't vote. And as a result of not voting, uh, Donald Trump, with fewer than a majority of votes uh, in, in the race itself, won by picking off three or four states in which that collection of purists had failed to show up and just cast a vote uh, for Hillary, and we would not have the problems we have with the presidency. And so I am still uh, livid uh, that uh, that crowd of purists uh, would uh, uh, chance it even this time around. And that disturbs me because they are not nearly as impressive as they were. They really should take uh, an opportunity to study what occurred in 2018 when Nancy Pelosi decided that the U.S. Congress needed her back as the new head of that body, she put together a program throughout this nation. And she said to every Democrat, you fit or you don't fit. And believe me, if you don't fit, I'm going to tell you you don't fit. And I am not going to tolerate and have anyone else tolerate supporting you if you don't fit your constituency, not the constituency fitting you. And lo and behold, the results were spectacular. She won and put us in a position where at least we can participate in the public policy making uh, of this nation, somewhat akin to what 
was done in 2010 when uh, Obama was first in and when Nancy Pelosi led the effort to produce well, the Affordable Care Act, which covers many people in this nation on a way in which they have never been covered. And so if you read my column several columns ago, and I know that I'm right on this, it should be Nancy Pelosi for president. Uh, and that would solve, that would solve everybody's problem. But Nancy doesn't want the job. She really thinks she has a better job than the presidency. And I'm sorry to see that she has made that decision, uh, but it would be fabulous. If Nancy Pelosi was a candidate, all of those people that did not show up probably would have difficulty not showing up if Nancy's name was on the ballot. Uh, and she would know exactly who they were. I'm saying that's how talented she really is. And um, reminds you of Phil Burton. Phil Burton knew everybody's district in this country better than they knew that district. And Nancy is holding the seat that Phil Burton once held, and she's holding the job that Phil Burton really wanted but couldn't get because he couldn't put the tools together as Nancy so, has so put the tools together. So there's still hope. I can imagine Nancy had been responsible, frankly, for Obama gaining the advantage of becoming the nominee uh, in the, in the, in the, in the dust-up in 2008. It was Nancy and the superdelegates. Nancy led the superdelegates that got him the nomination. She has not evidenced any interest in any of the 23 or 24 so far. And I suspect that that's one of the reasons why newcomers keep popping up. They see that Nancy is still available, uh, and, and, and they keep just hoping, and we all are in uh, that category. And Nancy and, and, and will obviously be here at some point, and I hope you will press her uh, to, to run, because I do think that there is a distinct possibility that all she'd have to do would be to announce, and it would be all over. Everybody would fold, and, and Trump would start almost instantly uh, seeking help from somebody uh, because he fears Nancy more than he fears anybody else. There is no other person to whom he has had a confrontation. He didn't call them a name. And until yesterday, Kamala was in that same category. Now he's given her a name. Oh, and he is upset with the fact that uh, she... Um, uh, frankly, unmask and undress the Bob person or in a fashion that the, Trump didn't think his champion and his representative could be so undressed. And so he now knows that he's got to keep Barr at home. Otherwise, uh, uh, it may very well become apparent to everybody uh, that uh, without Barr, uh, there would be no Trump. And we are clearly eager to see that that is, in fact, the result. In the meantime, the state of California is in better shape uh, than it has been in a long time. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the former mayor of our great city, is now the governor of the state of California. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of unbelievable that what you have uh, in this state in terms of elected officials, just think about it, from San Francisco, no. Let's start with the two U.S. senators from San Francisco, Diane Feinstein and Kamala Harris. From San Francisco, the man who runs the governorship, 
Gavin Newsom from San Francisco, the woman who is the Lieutenant Governor, Elaney Kolokos. It is just incredible that we would have that group of talent. But they, they think very quickly, who's the treasurer? Fiona Ma from here in San Francisco. Who's the controller? <laughs> Betty E. Here, right here from San Francisco. It's just awesome that so many of the state elected officials, national and local, are literally from San Francisco. I frankly feel sorry for Los Angeles. They've got, <laughs> they have so many more people down there. But apparently, uh, the, the entry fee or the intelligence requirement is in excess of what kind of talent they have. And we're ended up uh, with smaller numbers, but with obviously better talent, and we are providing great political leadership or for the state of California by virtue of the kind of uh, people uh, that we have managed to elect uh, to public office. And with Gavin at the helm on the governorship side, as soon as he finishes getting even with Jerry Brown uh, <laughs> for all the things Jerry Brown did, when he served as lieutenant governor. Jerry didn't pay a whole lot of attention uh, to Newsom. I'm not sure, frankly, that anybody told Jerry that there was a lieutenant governor. Uh, uh, I'm not sure he knew it, but he, he, because he conducted himself as if there was no lieutenant governor. He would seldom, if ever, leave the state, and that's when the lieutenant governor gets a chance to shine. He would seldom, if ever, include the lieutenant governor in anything that he was doing, so I'm not sure he knew that there was a lieutenant governor or cared. When Newsom, or obviously, um, has been uh, just biding his time until he could get the job. And as soon as he got the job, first thing he did was every toy that Jerry Brown had had and built and everything that Jerry Brown put in place, Newsom knocked them all down. You know, he just went in and knocked them all down. He's now slowly but surely, however, charting the course in a way in which or we are going to see uh, Newsom uh, rise and do what needs to be done uh, for the 39.9 million people, 39,900,000 people that are now in the state of California, particularly since it appears as if lots of folk are leaving. Uh, some people are thinking about a friend I talked to today had just moved to Texas. Now, I tell you, I don't understand why anybody would move to Texas. I left Texas for a very good reason. Uh, there is nothing redeeming um, uh, about Texas. Uh, uh, my relative group have uh, slowly but surely dwindling down because they're all leaving Texas as soon as they possibly can. But when my friend told me he had moved to Texas and told me where in Texas, I didn't have it hard to tell him. Uh, that, you know, I feel sorry for you. I don't know what would have prompted you. And when he started outlining to me that he had retired, and I knew right off, okay, you got a problem. Uh, because Texas uh, is not, you know, there's no advantage for a retired person in Texas. Uh, the, the income flow is not subject to taxations if you're working. But if you're there, you know, on Social Security and and a teacher salary, a teacher retirement, uh, you, there's no advantage because your taxes for on the real estate side, your property taxes are equal to the property taxes in the state of California. Uh, they, you, there's an advantage on the gas side, but then there's also the burden of bad air 
almost as big as a result of cheap gas uh, in Texas with no, and, and then the, uh, the social relationships in Texas are virtually non-existent. Uh, so it's just a, a, an odd thing to be moving to Texas. But people are moving in some other places as well. But yet we have an incredible growth curve uh, in California. And we particularly have a growth curve in Northern California and a growth curve in San Francisco, California. As I walked around uh, today just to check things out before coming here to see how much development is going on and how, much, how many new places are being built, it's unbelievable how many spaces are being built in San Francisco. It's also kind of unbelievable to see how many vacancies there are in, in the, on, on the retail side. Uh, when I was in Chinatown, I counted 37 vacancies between, between uh, the, that part of Chinatown from, say, Powell to, say, down to uh, maybe um, Davis, and then from about uh, Market Street or to about Broadway. That's the territory that I covered. And they have 37 vacancies in that particular piece of town. When I said that later, early today to someone before coming here, I said 37 vacancies in Chinatown. He said, are you kidding me? There are 37 vacancies in Union Square. Uh, uh, an incredible number of vacancies in our city. And it is not because people don't want to use those facilities. It's because there's an alarming amount of attention to trying to get as many dollars as you can out of the rental market on, on the side of, uh, uh, of these landlords who own these buildings. I recall that when I first arrived in San Francisco, the first time I ever ate a steak in my life was at a restaurant on Powell Street called Tad's. And it was a dollar nine cents for a steak. And with that steak, you got a salad and you got some, uh, uh, I think it would be called French bread in those days, uh, with uh, what appeared to be uh, working crude oil on it for toast purposes. <laughs> but it, it was really good. Uh, and, the, and that place is still there. Tad's still there. And when I was talking to them earlier today, they said, they're moving. I said, why are you moving? They said, they want to raise our rent. I said, so where are you moving to? We're moving to a city garage around on, well, around on Ellis Street across from John's Grill. And I said, I don't want to you know, get in your business, but what kind of rent are you currently paying? So we're currently paying about $25,000 a month. Well, how in the hell would, obviously when they're going around the corner, how much did they ask you for? $60,000 a month. That's $2,000 a day. Now, they have obviously raised the price of that steak. It's, it's now $18 when I saw it in there today. It's $18 for that steak, and that's still considered, you know, a reasonable price steak for some people. Uh, but I'm just amazed, and that's just one example of the alarming and the dramatic movement on the side of people who control uh, real estate. And I must tell you that it didn't surprise me that the Board of Supervisors uh, has considered the possibility of beginning to tax vacant spaces and retail spaces in the city because those spaces are obviously there not because there isn't a tenant potentially, but rather there is because uh, there is an alarming increase in the, 
costs associated with occupying that space for service purposes. And it's all because the dramatic increase in the number of people who are here in San Francisco that eat out. San Francisco is increasing its commitment to no kitchens. Uh, The the, the business of not eating at home. Uh, Apparently, home cooking is highly uh, overrated and that more people are having it either sent in um, uh, by robot or they they are uh, going to the places where the food is prepared. My friend Stanley Gatti has a, um, he calls a grocery store over on Post Street. But you, the best fried chicken in town is prepared every day at Stanley Gatti's joint. And the best, um, the best uh, chicken pot pie, other than from uh, when you get it up at the Big Four, is at Stanley's joint uh, on Post Street. And he sells out every day. And that's because all those people living in and around there don't want to bother to cook. They don't want to bar- do any of the things that need to be done. And I think Stanley uh, is not totally and candidly represented because he's saying no possibility of gaining any weight eating my food. Um, and it's probably true because the prices he's charging you, you you're not going to eat too often. Uh, and that obviously would be a contribution to what you mean. But it is clear that if, if, we, if we could very much get ourselves in gear, we could begin or to get a, some kind of a balance in the occupancy rate of retail spaces in San Francisco, and we clearly need to do that. Simultaneously, uh, London Breed is our new mayor, and she's doing a spectacular job, uh, uh, in spite of the fact that somebody in yesterday in the Chronicle, I don't know why they did this, I don't know, but the letter to the editor said, uh, now that uh, the Reskin is leaving the job of Muni, that job ought to go to Willie Brown. Uh, <laughs> Now, now, you know, as somebody who really dislikes me, uh, apparently, uh, because Muni uh, is almost impossible to, to, to operate it anyway. And if you recall, I made the bold statement in pursuit of the job of mayor that in uh, 100 days you would be able to have Muni show up at your home on your demand and deliver you wherever you need to go because I was going to fix Muni. Well... Muni is still unfixed, and that was about 25 years ago when I made that comment. And it's clear that uh, whoever said I should be running Muni without the lunch. Well, London obviously didn't call me up and say, uh, I like the idea. Will you consider it? As a matter of fact, she didn't call me up at all, uh, and, which kind of disturbed me uh, because it should have at least generated some attention. But nevertheless, she is in the process of beginning the fix in Muni. Uh, I had a young man who worked for me, uh, P.J. Johnston, he may be here tonight, but he, I had him over in Muni uh, for a while. Uh, and, uh, and he's still my friend, uh, in spite of the fact that he was stuck over in Muni for a short period of time. Uh, and, you know, it's like being sentenced to uh, uh, bad time for bad behavior to go over to Muni. Uh, but uh, she is, London is accepting the challenge, and she has grabbed the man who just retired uh, from running uh, the Bay Bridge, the Willie Brown Bridge, and all the things around here with the state and federal money, 
He retired. She got him yesterday, apparently, to agree to go on the Muni board. Now, if she just put one or two more people on there and reduced the influence of the Bicycle Coalition and reduced the influence of the people who uh, apparently think it's perfectly okay uh, to, to ride any kind of an instrument that has wheels anywhere in the city. I even saw a guy in a wheelchair in, in the middle of market uh, holding up to the streetcars, the buses, and everything else because he couldn't, it was not motorized. He was rolling it, uh, but he said, uh, I'm entitled to the same space as any car. Well, obviously, that's the next step that needs to be taken. Not Muni, but obviously the transportation system of our city and the methods needs to be done. For an example, uh, I am next to a neighbor to this place, and we look out on there, and when we have some kind of event and we do uh, parking and we have the valet parkers, they have to go two blocks up before they can come back and do whatever they need to do. I, for weeks, have been telling these damn people who run the MTA, make that street behind us, Stewart Street, like it is between Market and Mission, it's two ways. Here, it's one way this way, and it's the only one way this way spot in the whole goddamn city. And you would think <laughs> that those people who run the operation would have already made the adjustment. I'm hopeful that that adjustment will start, and I have said that you'll be able to predict how fewer cars will be circulating two blocks up rather than just coming around here and dropping you off and picking you up with no problem at all. All over the city, that kind of opportunity presents itself, and so the creativity uh, that Mayor Breed and her operation is going to pursue is going to do something about changing the nature of this city. I also suggested uh, that, you know, and, and I tested it, you know, I I'm, I'm, use a cab cabs most of the time. I use some form of assist transportation assistance. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now, back to our program. And I, I have uh, been critical of Uber, and in part because it was back in... Well, let me tell you, I'm sorry that I am critical. I have to be critical, though, because I made a tragic mistake. It was back in 2009 or 10 when the guy who came up with the idea of Uber was chatting with me up at the St. Regis in the lobby, and he was picking my brain on how it could be implemented and should be implemented and through the regulatory process. And I, of course, told him, you got to be out of your mind if you think. Uh, we already have uh, the business of limos, and the limos seem to work very well. You make the appointment, what have you. He said, but yeah, but electronically, you can instantly make the appointment and you get to pick up. I said, no, it won't work. It'll never work. <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, he hired somebody else uh, to help him. Uh, and that somebody else is probably going to be really wealthy in about three or four months when they go public, and I'm still going to be riding uh, Muni, uh, all because I didn't make the decision uh, to take advantage of the opportunity. But it's clear 
that almost every one of those drivers in those cars are from some other planet, not, not from some other city or county. They're from some other planet. And I think the recruiting for drivers, I think that the person who does the recruiting for drivers goes to whatever date they're releasing people from prison so that you, 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 you get the right to drive or yourself home from prison, and you can then keep on driving. Uh, uh, and I think it works very well. Uh, the, the recidivism rate is relatively low among people who become muni drivers or, or, or Uber drivers or Lyft drivers or whatever you, right out of the slammer. And that seems to work very well, but it puts too many of the damn cars on the streets of San Francisco, like every third car. And when I tested Uber just recently, you know, they say, you almost have to be a genius uh, to, to follow. You, you get your app, and you hit the app, and then it says where you're going. You tell them where you're going, uh, and you're typing in where you're going. Well, if you don't type, and I don't type, um, <laughs> you're, you're stuck because Siri can't hook up with Uber. I don't know what the hell's the matter with Siri, but Siri doesn't talk to Uber, doesn't say a word to Uber, and the results are you have to have some neighbor or some friend Take a look and help me out on this. You, know, you, you don't want to tell them you're half-assed blind, and you, you, know, you don't want to tell them any of that, but you do get help with, with, with Uber. And then you get an Uber, and then as soon as you get, they, they say, well, the car is coming. It's a, it's a Prius, uh, and it's silver in color, and it has license plates 276. Well, you stand out looking on the corner, and there comes four Priuses. Uh, <laughs> all with the little thing where the guy's trying to find, the woman's trying to find where they go, and you're trying to figure out the license plate, uh, it really becomes almost, it becomes almost impossible. On the other hand, if you do flywheel, it's the cabs, you, the color. And, so, and all the cabs now are signing up apparently for flywheels because in the last week or so, I've been in a cab that said veterans. I've been in a cab that says green. I've been in a cab uh, that says, I don't know, a number of other names, but they all come under the flywheel, but they're cabs. You can recognize a cab. You cannot recognize a Prius as being exactly what it is unless there's something unique. And either they should have them all the same color. I can see it now. Purple Priuses are doing, doing the run for all of the deals that come in the city, and it, that would be not a bad idea. Uh, but at any rate, we clearly have too many of them on the streets. There are at least 40 or 50,000 on some days when we're, and they change the amount of the fare. You get in, and you can say uh, the deal was $22. Said, well, yeah, it was $22, but it's raining. Uh, and, and I can't do it for $22. I can up it. And lo and behold, you're paying $46 for what used to be a $22 uh, ride. It's just that bad. You can't do that with cabs. Cabs are controlled by the meter. And the meter says what the cabs... Uh, and when I drove a cab years ago, I used to control the meter. I'd put a... Uh, <laughs> And that way, the people who were supposed to be sharing with me didn't get a chance to share what the real fare was. Uh, but, you know, there are ways in which I guess people are doing it even today. But nevertheless, too many of those people on the streets, and they have no idea where they're going. You'll have, sometimes they turn left, and it's a staircase. They got, uh, 
and, and you literally, uh, it's, it's embarrassing to be, sit in there. And then if you get in the cab and say, I changed my mind. I don't want to go to the North Beach restaurant. I want to go to Kokori's. You guys, well, where's Kokori's? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but I think I can tell you how to get there. Well, no, I got to put it in my machine to tell me where I'm supposed to go. You get an argument, pretty soon you're out of the cab or you're out of the Prius and you have to get another one because this one can't work it out. That's how awful it is and that's terrible for our city. Just think of how many people who come out to visit from Texas trying to figure out how to go through this process and lo and behold, uh, they cannot do it. So there are some things that need to be done. Or in your airport. I mean, it's terrible. We have a collection of people who have said uh, at the airport, uh, the only taxi cabs that can pick up at the airport, on Eleanor, you know this, only taxi cabs that can pick up at the airport are ones who pay $250,000 for their ability to drive a cab. Now, you understand, when I served as mayor, I gave out 500 of those items. Those, I think they called them, you got it, you own one probably. That's why you know what it is. You literally, I gave out 500 of them and I think they were about 50 bucks a copy. Some of my successes came along and said, it's not enough, nor is it enough money to get from each one of them. We're gonna issue as many as you want at $250,000 for each one. And then the city did something unusually strange. Unusually strange. Now, it is just a piece of paper. That's all the medallion is. It's just a piece of paper. It's an authorization to drive. This city literally said, we want 250 for it, and we're not going to carry the note because we don't trust you. So you go to a financer and you get the 250. You give us the money that you got from the financer, but you pay the financer. And that's how you pay it back. Absolutely outrageous. Because what they also said is, those 500 that Willie Brown gave out, you can sell those to the new people that want to pay 250 because the city gets 50 out of each one that's sold. Horrible. And we didn't know about it. At least I didn't know about it. I would have, you know, raised unholy hell because there's no reason in the world why a piece of paper that should not require pledging your mother-in-law or your firstborn for security, because after all, if you give me a medallion and I don't pay this month, you just take the damn medallion back and give it to somebody else. It should not be some credit card or credit union supplying the money, because now there is a lawsuit by the credit unions, because suddenly when all these Lyfts and Ubers showed up, it created a problem, particularly since the city seems to prefer those particular operators. The city seems to tolerate. In fact, it appears as if the, the traffic police or friendly, or there must be cousins of theirs or something, <laughs> because the only people still getting tickets for moving violations in this town are 
cab drivers. Those with medallions get tickets. Those with Uber get a hello and a courtesy drive and things of that nature. So the city on this particular issue is really kind of screwed up since many of the people that paid the 250 are now finding that they can't make the money that will allow them to pay the 250. And so they are going bankrupt. They are having their, their homes, uh, uh, I think, leveled against because literally they place themselves in jeopardy financially in order to get the 250 to buy the medallion because the medallion was so valuable. There's just so many things that in nature uh, that Mary Breed is going to have to deal with that has been offered and left to her from the people that preceded her in the job. But be that as it may, the city is still in really great, great shape. The level of people who are contributing uh, to the city or in every way uh, is at the zenith. And if we can just get ourselves together on the business of making housing affordable for teachers, housing affordable for hospital workers, housing affordable for the collection of people that provide the services, we will be on tap to continue the glamour and the goodness that's always been this city and the way in which it allowed me to become one of its people who lived here, who managed to prosper here, who managed to get educated here, who managed to become productive here. Mayor Breed is dedicated to trying to get it back to that particular level, and I suspect she will, uh, but it's going to be a real challenge because I've just outlined two or three of the challenges uh, that is faced. And I know somebody is already saying, well, how would you address that problem of the uh, medallions that were bought? First and foremost, it should be clear. Any medallion given out by the city cannot be sold for profit by anybody who has that medallion. That should have been the rule to begin with, because after all, it's a city item, and you should have been required to return it if you no longer wanted to use it. Uh, that's just the way it should have been, and we would have been much better off. There are multiple opportunities of that nature and things of that nature that must be addressed, and I think Mayor Breed is going to have the job of so addressing it. My time's up. Whatever you want. Yeah. I, I, I really had told Joe and others that tonight I was going to come and just answer questions um, because I know <laughs> all of you, uh, all of you, of course, that I was not going to make a speech uh, of any sort. And I frankly didn't make a speech of any sort. <laughs> I just shared with you uh, um, the meandering of my mind. Uh, <laughs> And it, you got a demonstration on how the columns come. Uh, they just come. <laughs> There's no plan, no program. And, and they don't come, uh, you know, they come sometimes at uh, unusual moments. Uh, 4.30 in the morning, uh, you know, you flip on the television uh, and there's usually it's worse. I mean, it's worse TV in the world between about 2 a.m. Uh, and 4, 4.30 uh, AM. Nothing is on TV. I mean, it's just terrible. And there's nothing on radio. Ray Taliaferro died and there's nothing left on radio during the course of that time period. And you start to think. 
And when you start to think, that's dangerous. Uh, of course, it can be uncontrolled. Nobody is there to help guide you and what have you. And, and, but it ends up being a lot of fun because it's a real challenge to the people who do the editing over at the Chronicle uh, because they some days think I should be committed uh, as a result of something that I have said or done. Or, and uh, it, it, it's fun, frankly, because I now know uh, that uh, they are annoyed if they have to go through a lot of verbiage. They, they only want to give me about a thousand words. I'd like two pages, uh, but they will not permit me to do so, and it limits me demonstrating my genius. Thank you very much. Our thanks to uh, Willie Brown, the former mayor of San Francisco, noted political commentator, and the potential transportation czar for San Francisco. <laughs> you know, I remember about 15 years ago when we started to do this, I uh, asked you what you're going to miss most about being mayor. And you looked at me and said, the driver. <laughs> I thought you were kidding at the time, but now after the last five minutes, <laughs> I understand a little more. <laughs> All right, we're going to, most of the people here want to, that I talked to earlier want to talk about national politics, but there are a couple of things that... See, I knew that. That's why I started talking national politics. Right. I know none of you give a shit about bad driving and <laughs> unfair treatment of cab drivers. All right, there, there, are, a couple, there are a couple issues about local and state politics that we probably should address, though. One of them is the fact that the city is changing. The skyline's changing. The uh, composition of the population of the city is changing. Uh, it's becoming, in, in the eyes of many, a city that's starting to follow the patterns of, of Manhattan, where you're either very rich or you're very poor, and if you're in the middle class or the artistic and cultural community, you're being forced out because of the expense of living and being here. How do you feel about that? Well, I think that those who recognize that as a potential should become a participant in trying to make sure it doesn't become a reality, a reality to the extent that uh, waiters uh, no longer can live in the city, servers can no longer live in the city, Teachers can no longer live in the city. I think that um, uh, Mayor Breed and members of the Board of Supervisors are conscious of it, and I think that they do intend to uh, address uh, the issue in a very aggressive way because the affordable housing advocates have been around here for a long time. I refer to them as running kind of a cartel. They are the ones that run the operation where they build for the poorest. They do not build housing for everybody. They have no interest, apparently, in doing that uh, because they are so riveted on trying to build for the poorest of the poor. Well, certainly the poorest of the poor uh, need housing. I built a lot of housing in that category. But simultaneously, there really ought to be a heavy-duty commitment uh, to produce uh, housing. I said 
to a young man who just got elected to the City Council of Richmond when he came in to see me and said, what recommendations do you have? <clears throat> I said, you have land over there. You have a lot of land in Richmond. So why don't you go to the state and that new superintendent of schools, I think, would sign on to what I'm about to recommend. And that is the state's teacher's retirement fund is one of the largest retirement funds in the nation. I said, they tried at one time to build at 8 Washington, and they were stopped in the Ed Lee administration in an effort led by Peskin and a few other persons of that same elk. And they, they, they killed that process. I said, it seems to me, with the kind of land you have in Richmond and the opportunity for the teacher retirement system to make money for their fund, building and owning and operating housing or financing housing, you could build a teacher village in Richmond and build it close enough to where the ferry boats move all around the bay and teachers would be able to live in that village at least for some period of time, several years, as they transition into ability to, for greater ownership. And that village could be constantly uh, repeating itself in terms of the availability. And just think of how many school districts on that regional housing complex, think of how many school districts would sign on to that regional housing complex and how many of them, on how many of the union members could begin the negotiating process, including the opportunity for the availability of that housing as to where you live for the first five years of your teaching career. It would be fabulous. You'd have teachers that live in Antioch and teachers that live in, in Brisbane and teachers that live in San Francisco, all reaching their living space in Richmond in the same teacher village um, and at prices that would be affordable. That concept could be replicated uh, in other places. For an example, uh, out at the, the Cow Palace. Well, why do we need the Cow Palace? Uh, uh, perfect place for a new teacher village. Uh, it's just so many incredible ideas that you can pass on uh, that way, and you would begin to address the problem effectively. You're not going to do it if you stick with this business of just thinking affordable housing or in, in, in when you build a new high-rise. Uh, Karen Johnson's clients build high-rises, and they're required to put 20% uh, affordable. Well, that's, you know, that's not addressing the issue. You need... Uh, because you cannot uh, literally uh, have uh, the kind of people you're talking about uh, living in those particular facilities. They won't meet the threshold on the income side. Only somebody who's on welfare or near welfare will meet that concept. And, that, and so clearly we need to be a lot more creative and we need to not apologize when we say not one more dedicated affordable housing we're going to build unless you redefine what you mean by affordable. 
if the affordable question goes out the window from what it currently is with the caps and it goes in a different definition and a different direction, um, the results could be we could begin to honestly and effectively address the issue. I saw yesterday in the newspaper, or maybe it was today, where uh, the most, some of the most generous people, Benioffs, uh, give another $30 million to research homelessness. Forget that. Are you kidding me? You don't need to research it anymore. We all know that homelessness is, you know, the beginning, uh, it begins with poverty. And, 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 and so what we ought to do is take that 30 million and do some anti-poverty work or any combination of dollars to do that. And so people have got to be courageous enough uh, to move away from the symbolic process but into the reality world. And the reality world is poor people need assistance. That story in the newspaper today about this person over in the East Bay who opened their home to people who had been homeless for a long time. That is a unique response, one that, you know, I'm surprised that even allowed it to be publicized uh, because he's doing what many of his fellow wealthy people would never consider doing, and that is objectively and directly uh, addressing the needs of a collective in the population. And then finally, I've got to tell you that uh, some of these people that I bump into in restaurants that are service there uh, tell me that they would uh, love to have some redefinitions of these SROs so that they could actually, uh, for the week that they're working in downtown San Francisco and they live in, I don't know, they live in wherever, Vallejo or what have you, they stay in San Francisco uh, occupying one of the SROs, one of the rooms at the SROs, and doing what needs to be done to help make our city what it is. Okay, thank you. Um, question about the state now. Um, FDR has 100 days. Uh, what's Gavin Newsom had so far? Newsom has had a marvelous run. Most people have not paid any attention to him. We've been really lucky uh, because uh, he has not been judged adversely. Uh, and what he has been judged on, he clearly uh, has been um, responsive. The whole business of wildfires, he's on top of that. Uh, like no other space, he's actually on top of um, the high-speed rail process uh, that is going on between Bakersfield and Merced. Uh, and he's actually uh, trying to work through uh, getting that on a practical basis to, in fact, work. And I heard today from two people who said that uh, they no longer have to spend a week at the DMV to get an identification card. Uh, so he should be credited with having reduced the amount of time it takes you standing in line at the DMV, uh, which is in and of itself uh, an achievement. And he has uh, gotten the blessings of being able uh, to have uh, a dramatic increase in the amount of money through the budgetary process. The one thing that Jerry Brown did was leave a lot of money because Jerry was really cheap. And as a result of being really cheap, he didn't spend a whole lot of money. He abolished redevelopment. And I think uh, 
Governor Newsom will probably reestablish some form of redevelopment because the best way in which to build housing that can be workforce housing would be through the redevelopment process. He's looking at it and he is, I think, uh, going to address it. He's building an administration uh, that has a lot of Jerry Brown's people uh, in it, uh, but ultimately they're going to be Newsom people. Thank you. We'll, uh, we're running out of time, so let's get to the national politics. Is it possible for Trump to get reelected? If I had to bet today, I would tell you Trump will get reelected. That's today. There's still the opportunity to defeat him. But we Democrats are so devoted to being politically correct that we don't understand you can be really politically correct, but that ought to be the day after you win. <laughs> and until we focus on that in that way, it's exactly what Nancy did in 2018. She knew that if she spent any time trying to convince folk in your district that hate Nancy Pelosi, to love Nancy Pelosi. No, she wanted him to love you. And so she would allow you to say, I don't love Nancy either. I won't vote for Nancy. That's the practical way in which to ultimately win. We as Democrats need to do that. For an example, we need to tell Beto in Texas, you know, you were really impressive, but I suspect it was because your opponent was so disliked. It wasn't because of anything you stood for. You just happened to be the guy that we all wanted Ted Cruz to lose to. We didn't know anything about you. We learned about you, and we learned that you are talented. Why don't you take on this other Texan who is not as smart as Cruz, who's not as well-positioned as a right-winger as Cruz, but you might be able to beat him because you came close. And believe me, if he gets the support of Trump in Texas, you will beat him. But Beto is out here at the Irish Cultural Center trying to find a Democrats don't vote at the Irish Cultural Center. I don't know what they'll do. I don't know who told them to go out there. Uh, um, but he was out there, the Irish Cultural Center. And the same goes, uh, you know, I, I saw where Bennett from Colorado, must be something really bad in Colorado. We got now got two guys. Uh, one a former governor and the other one now a U.S. senator running from Colorado. How can that be? How can you have two people? Uh, it, you know, I, it, it, it's not like California where we have two or three people, uh, but they are all, you know, they are all uh, soon to be, not have been. Those two guys have been something. And, and all over the country we need to, uh, as a practical matter, say... It's not your time, Joe. Uh, you know, it's George's time, and, and uh, we're going to be with George. Uh, in your state, we can't win. We're not going to waste any money in your state. We're going to put it in Texas where we might be able to win. And we got that's, those are the kind of decisions uh, we need to make to make sure that Trump doesn't win. Nancy has the formula for stopping Trump. I'm not sure that anyone else does. I think there's some people that could fit the formula for
for stopping Trump. And believe me, if they play this business with Mueller right, what they got to be careful, though, is because I'm almost certain that at some point, you keep playing the Mueller card, and it's going to prove to bounce back on you. I want to stop playing the Mueller card. I want to start doing just the obstruction of justice type. I want to issue subpoenas. I want to continuously uh, hold hearings. I want Trump to continuously be in a defensive mode on his Russian connections and what have you. And that may be distracting enough, as it has been for the last two weeks, to cause us to build a volume among our people. And we have got to stop worrying about trying to change those Democrats who voted for Trump. Forget them. There are too many new people that didn't vote for anybody that we ought to be focused our attention on. New voters are literally better than, you got a better shot with them. And so I hope we won't become burdened with trying to uh, reverse all the uh, Middle Western voters uh, who voted for Trump. They don't have a reason not to vote for him again. You know, you think they read newspapers? Probably not. So they don't even know whether he's done anything bad. <laughs> you know, there seems to be in this country a cry for something different and new. Uh, four years ago, it was, or two years ago, it was Bernie Sanders, and eventually became Trump. And now the newness, the new kind of different person coming to run for office. Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana. City of 100,000 people, smaller than Stockton, smaller than Fresno. Wants to run a nation of over 300 million people. But he's new. Can Joe Biden or people like Joe Biden, who are moderate, skilled, experienced people, become president of the United States any longer? Or do we just want something new? I don't think there are enough people for us to operate on the theory that only the newcomers are entitled to run. This country is such that we really ought to be about running a 50-state campaign. Every state has to be treated differently. Every pursuit, if you, Barbara Lee says to me the other day, no, don't do it by state. Let's do it by congressional district. Nancy won because Nancy did it by congressional district. We ought to be about electing a president on the Democratic side through the, through the business of congressional districts. That means, Joe Fink, you are responsible for your congressional district for whomever the candidate happens to be. We did that with Diane. There was a fellow named, who is now de deceased, um, but he, uh, Vandekamp was his name. I was the speaker at the time, and he was certain that the operation of state government was really in bad shape 
As a matter of fact, he said uh, we were a swamp and he was going to run and clean the swamp um, because all of the swamp dwellers should be flushed out. We set out to get Diane the nomination and it was after Diane's political consultant had said he was bailing out from her campaign because he said that her work ethic was not consistent with a potential winner. We set about in the legislature to say we have 80 assembly seats. We want you to be Diane Feinstein in your district. I'll be Diane Feinstein in mine. Other people will be Diane Feinstein. We don't ever need Diane Feinstein to come to the district because you're going to represent to the that you're Diane Feinstein. I'm going to be Diane Feinstein in my district. We slaughtered Vandekamp, slaughtered him, because we ran the kind of operation in which we had our voters uh, with us and we with them. Democrats has to do that. We'll have to do that nationwide. And if we could take the 435 congressional districts that are out there, and we could figure out 270 of those congressional districts, and we could proceed to win 270 of those congressional districts in the right way, we could end up with the presidency and the Trumpites would never know what hit them. Okay, thank you. There, there, are, a host of, there are a host of questions. But unfortunately, we've run out of time. And the Commonwealth Club has over 450 uh, events a year. And there's probably something coming into this room soon. Um, so one last question. You were pretty good in Godfather 3. You, were, uh, you did, a, did a pretty decent job there, I thought. Have you ever regretted not staying in the movie business and being an actor <laughs> or a leading man? I treated the world of politics as if it was a movie. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks to Willie Brown, the former mayor of San Francisco. We also want to thank all of you in the audience here and on our uh, television and internet. I am Joseph Fink. This meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, the place where you're in the know, is now adjourned. <laughs>